0: Before we begin, uh, just put very briefly to remind you, we're in a series called "Why Did Jesus Come." You heard the songs from the, the choir singing about His coming. He's here, He's here, and we're so glad of that. But why did He come? We believe He's come, and on Saturday, a lot of us are going to gather and maybe meals and presents and all that good stuff, celebrating that. But why did He come? And we're spending the, the, the every Sunday here in December just asking Jesus to tell us why did He come and letting Him. Speak to us. I'm glad he came. Aren't you glad he came? But the reason he came is what we're going to talk about today. Is he came to die for me, and I am so glad that he died for me. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, please help me as I speak to your people. Please give us, give us, give us a voice and a word from heaven, so that we can, as we, as we, die, as we scatter into our homes and communities, that we will take this brief with us, and we will meditate on this. Help us to hear your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If if you're like me, um, when you you hate these words when you're opening up presents for kids, your kids, batteries not included, or some assembly may be required. I always hated that. I always hated that. I remember, I guess it was for Jude. I think that's who it was for. All my children would blend together. Uh, I think it was for our youngest. There was one year he wanted this big Ferris wheel. They had this big display up in the store, and he wanted this big Ferris wheel. I want that. I said, okay, let's get that for him. We got it for him. Of course, it was in a million pieces. And I remember that Christmas night spending all night, I think I was up to about 2 o'clock in the morning, lost my religion at least three times put that thing together, and I think it finally held together for about six hours until he completely destroyed it, but I had to put it all together. In other words, all of the joy that my son wanted for Christmas, it required a little something extra. It needed something, there was something necessary for him to enjoy his Christmas. There was something missing, a key element missing, and that's exactly the way it is with uh, the Lord coming to this earth. His arrival, uh, just the fact that He came, is a glorious thing. Just the fact that God is with us. We have no we have no merit, no right whatsoever to even see God's face. It even tells us in the Bible, to see God is actually called for us to die. But, Jesus so lovingly just comes and He's with us. That on its own is a pleasure and, and a joy. But even when He came, just Him being a baby in a manger, as wonderful and glorious as that is, there's... I mean, something necessary, something missing, so that without this thing, we could never fully enjoy the fact that He came. And that thing is Jesus' death on the cross. And in this passage, Jesus is clearly teaching teaching to us that without His bloody and cruel, emotionally wrenching journey to Calvary's cross, there would be Maybe some joy in Christmas, but it wouldn't do us a whole lot of good. It wouldn't do us a whole lot of good. The events in John chapter 12, I'm going to draw your attention to uh, about verse 20. The events of this passage take place towards the end of Jesus' ministry. Just before this, in verses 12 to 19, we have a a scene called the triumphal entry. This is where Jesus comes in on a a donkey. And all those people praise him, and they, they, they tried to crown him king, in fact. Everybody's excited about him. And in verse 19, the, the Pharisees, these are the religious rulers of the day, they look and they say, The whole world's going to come after Jesus. Oh, my goodness. They're a little scared about this thing. They're a little worried about this, not sure what to do about it. Because the, the world genuinely was, at that time, they got excited about Jesus. I don't know. The Bible doesn't even make it fully plain exactly why, but there was kind of this. This, this rush, this emotion, this kind of everybody's just excited. They're ready to put him on the throne. They think he might be the guy that'll get uh, get Rome out of the country. They think he might be the guy that'll turn things around. Uh, if I can borrow a phrase from a recent politician, one that might make Israel great again. Uh, that's uh, y'all just got your feeling, sir. I'm sorry. My apologies on that. Uh, That said, no, they they really thought that this was the guy that was going to fix everything. They just got excited about that. They were ready to put him on the throne. And even in verse twenty, if you were to look in verse twenty, you'll see that there were um, there were some Gentiles, some some Greeks. It says there some Gentiles that come after Jesus. There's certain Greeks, and they came to worship. This is a a larger uh, religious time, religious gathering at this time that they come for. But he says in verse 21, they come to Philip and they say, sir, we would see Jesus. They're looking for him. So you, the point I'm trying to get you to see is that everybody in Jerusalem is excited. Everybody in Israel excited. And even this passage is saying there are groups that are coming in excited about Jesus. Everybody is excited about Jesus. you know what Jesus' response to this is? i tell you what my response would be. It's like, hey, where do I sign up? Where's my crown? Where where do I sit? What do do you want me to do? But no, what does Jesus do? His response instead is in verse 23, go to with me in verse 23, where he says, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He goes down in verse 32. Go to verse 32. He says, And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. He, he said, I, It's time for me to be glorified. It's time for me to be lifted up. And if I were reading that without the rest of this context, I'd say, Well, it looks like he's ready to ascend to the throne. But no, it's not him accepting these accolades. Far from it. In fact, go to verse 32. He said, First of all, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Verse 33, this He said, signifying what death He should die. And if you were to read the following verses after that, you would also see that everybody that heard Him heard exactly what He was talking about. He was saying, it's not time for me to be the King. It's time for me to be crucified. It's time for me to die. I have come to die. That is why I'm here. So He is telling us that what what He accomplishes on Calvary. What makes Calvary seem so dark and so grim, but what He accomplishes there is what makes Bethlehem actually so sweet. That's what He's accomplishing. So today what I'm going to give you for just the next few minutes and I just need you all to bear with me for just a few minutes because I need you all to listen to this. I want to give you something I hope will be a little bit of a meditation for you as you go into these Christmas gatherings that you're about to have and all the celebrations you're about to have. I want to give you a little bit of meditation about what the gift of Christmas really is all about. First of all, the death of Jesus Christ was necessary. It was absolutely necessary for you to have life. If Jesus didn't die, you would not have life. I want you to see this in the passage. He says there, and uh, uh, back up in verse 23, he says that the hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he explains himself in verse 24. He says, "Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth it alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit." So he's just using a, a pretty, pretty straightforward farming analogy. Is so that seed that's there? It's it's great. It's good. It's I suppose if it's in certain forms, you could probably eat the thing or use it in some way. It's got usefulness on its own. But unless you put that thing in the ground, unless it becomes no more useful to anybody else, it gives up itself. It's dead. It is no of no use. Until that happens, there's no harvest. There's no fruit that comes out of that. But the minute that you put the hole in the ground, you put that seed in the ground, and you cover it up and say, I'm done with that seed, that's when the harvest can begin. The whole point of that is, if we don't bury the seed, we don't get the crop. You understand that. If you've done any farming, you know how that works. Those seeds don't do you any good up in the barn or in the bin or in the little packet, depending on if you're doing big farming big farming or little gardening. They're not going to do you any good when they're in the bin. They don't do you any good until they get in the ground. They have to be buried, and Jesus is telling us that if He had not died, then we would not have life. Uh, C- Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, in verse twenty. He says that Jesus is the first fruit of them that slept. This first fruit. This is this idea that Jesus is the one who is, He was buried when He died, and He rose again. He's the first one that comes out of the grave, but He is the first of many that would follow after Him. You and I have life. If you have life today, if you have eternal life today, you have life because Jesus gave up His life. Jesus was... Understand this about Jesus. He was perfect and He was complete. He didn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. He's perfect in every way. But I need His death in order for me to have life. And when I have His life, I not only live, I live, I have eternal life, but I have a fruitful life. He talks about there that this, when the seed dies, in verse 24, it brings forth much fruit. Jesus says in another place that He came to give life that we may have life and have it more abundantly, He says. He is not just simply giving us life. He is giving us a fruitful life. When Jesus died on the cross yes. His life for mine. Because He died, I have life. But not only that, I have life that's worth living. I hope there's at least one or two of y'all here that can testify. I have a life that's worth living because of Jesus Christ. You have life. Thank God for that. I have a future. Thank God for that. But even the right here and right now is meaningful because Jesus died on the cross. He goes on to say this here in verse uh, 25. He says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, but he that hateth his life, meaning he would prioritize other things over his life in this world to keep it unto life eternal. He's saying there that, listen, you're going to have a life that's meaningful, that's valuable. He goes on in verse 26 to say, If any man serve Me, let him follow Me, that where I am, there shall also My servant be. If any man serve Me, him will my Father honor. I want you to understand this about that, what happens here. Y'all ever heard of the phrase union with Christ? I, I, want, you, I want you to get this, this thought in your mouth. Union with Christ. When Jesus died, it wasn't a legal transaction. No, it was not a legal transaction. In fact, Peter says in First Peter, I think it's in chapter 1, he said, you didn't get bought with dirty money. No you got bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. This was not a legal transaction. This was a spiritual, physical, emotional, whole person interaction. Much like, if I can compare it, if I can crudely compare it, but just, to give you a sense of the the spirit of what I'm trying to do, Much like when a child comes into this world, it is not a financial transaction. There is so much more involved in that. The same thing with your redemption. When Jesus died on the cross, it was not a financial transaction. You know what happened there? He says, I'm now available to stand in the place. I am standing in the place that every person ever lived. And if you by faith believe that He did that for you, you have union Christ. Now that doesn't, that does, mean, that does mean that you're connected to Him, but you know what that also means? It means everything He gets, you get. Everything that He's blessed with is your blessing. Everything that He has is yours. You're with Him. He's yours and He's mine. That's what we do, We do with Him. We have union with Christ. I think, and I want to make sure, because I, I think this is too important for me to go off this, and I don't think I got you there yet, so y'all got to hang with me. You got to listen to me again. I have union with my wife. She's my wife. We got married 25 some years ago, and everything that's happened since then, as they say, what's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. Uh, but, now, but everything that we, we we're together on everything, everything we've got together, it is. And i me just go to say, as a side note, not my message, but if that's not the nature of your relationship with your spouse, y'all need to work on something. That's the way it's supposed to be. You are one flesh. You are together. So whenever she hurts, let me tell you, I hurt real bad. Whenever I hurt, uh, she hurts pretty bad. But but she tries to take care of me. Uh, but but when, when, whenever we are joy, we joy together. When she gets rewarded, I get rewarded, and vice versa. That's what we're talking about with union with Christ. You get that because He died. For you in your place, and it was not a financial, legal transaction, this was a whole person interaction, much like a marriage, much like fatherhood or motherhood. There's a connection that supersedes legal papers, there's something that's deep and abiding there. That's what you have with Christ because He died for you. That's the kind of life you now have life more abundantly and eternally because. Of his death was necessary to satisfy the Father. You so see this in verse 27. He says, as He's talking about the fact that He's about to die, He says, My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Now, I want you to understand this about Jesus. Jesus was a man. A man that's a man that beyond any kind. And I mean, this in every, I mean this in a positive sense of manhood. Please understand. Y'all understand some sort of us like in this day and age, I think we got a lot of wimps in this, in this world. I think Jesus was the kind of man that we look at and say, that's a man. I really do. I don't think he was mean. I don't think he was ugly to people. I don't think any of those things. But I think he had every bit of of manliness. I think what we envision of what a man ought to be, that's what Jesus was. So I'm telling you that because I don't think Jesus was sitting there saying, oh my goodness, I might you know, break a fingernail." I don't think he was worried about little things. I don't think he was sitting there, you know, worried, oh, I just don't think I can handle this about the cross. No, he knew exactly what the cross was involved. He knew that he was going to endure torture that normally would even kill the man before they ever got him on the cross. He knew that he was going to endure pain and suffering that on its own, forget the fact that there's a spiritual component to it, on its own would crush him. On top of that, he knew that he was going to bear every sin that you and I have ever committed. I mean, Matthew's sin alone would be enough to to scare me to have to pay for my own sin. But he took mine and all y'all's. He did it. He did it for us. And he knew he was doing this. And I'm saying that because when he comes here and says, my soul is troubled, he knew what he was walking into. He knew exactly what he was walking into. But when he walked into it, he says there, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say to him? So he calls out to his Father. He says, Father, save me from this hour. In another place in the garden, when he's in the garden right before he's crucified, he actually says, Lord, if you could let this cut pass from me, it would be wonderful. You could do that. Would you please let this pass? But don't don't stop reading there because he goes on. He says, "But because that can't happen." But this call came out into this hour. Jesus was born as a little baby in a manger. He walked on this earth. He healed the sick. He made blind people see. He brought people back from the dead. He did all of that leading up to this moment. So as painful as He knew it was going to be, He was ready, as, as the writer of Hebrews says, with joy He faced the cross. He took it on joyfully. But He did that, He says there, because in verse 28, Father, glorify Thy name. Father, glorify Thy name. Despite the pain that He knew He was about to face, Jesus said, the priority for me is making sure that I satisfy the Father, that I please the Father. Now I want you to see what the Father does in response. This is me. Verse 28, Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by heard it. And it thundered. And others said, it's an angel. Speak to him. So what I want you to understand about this scene. It's Jesus saying, man, I've got, to, I've got to face death. I don't want to do it, but I've got to do it. In fact, I want my Father to be pleased above all else. And you know what the Father said? I got this, son. It's going to be all. Right. What you're doing is exactly right. Now I want y'all to think about something. I, I got I got a hurry for this. all this. I want y'all to listen to me. Remember all that thing I just belabored about meeting with Christ. Remember that I went on and on about that. Y'all remember this? I see a few head nods. Okay, all right. The reason this is important is because if I have union with Christ, what the Father said to Jesus right here means something to me. In fact, I want you to see what Jesus says in here. Remember they all heard what the Father said. Go so there in uh, in um, a wonderful place. Verse verse twenty nine. They're all saying, maybe it's an angel, maybe it's something else. Verse 30, this voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Did you know if you had union with Christ because Jesus died on the cross, that everything that the Father thinks about Jesus, He thinks about you? That's exactly what He's saying here. He's saying, listen, y'all, i got to die, but I want my Father to be satisfied among all else. And the Father up in heaven says, Yep. Yes, I'm going to be satisfied. In fact, uh, Isaiah says over in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Lord to believe Him. That Jesus was crushed on the cross, that He bled, that He died, and it was exactly what the Father demanded. And the Father said, that works. That's what I wanted. That takes care of it. And if we have union with Christ, every sin that I've ever had is satisfied. One of my favorite words, actually my favorite word in the Bible, in the King James Bible anyhow, is a word called propitiation. The big old word I don't use every day, you don't use every day. But you know what that word means? It means atonement, it means satisfied. But you know what it basically means? Is that what Jesus did made God the Father happy. What Jesus made it so that when He sees me, He doesn't see a sinner. He doesn't see somebody who's far from God. He doesn't see somebody who's weak and broken and failing. He doesn't see those things. You know what He sees? He sees His Son, the perfection of His Son is. And He sees that everything that's ever gone wrong is made right in His Son. That's what propitiation is. Jesus is my propitiation. He can be your propitiation. His death was necessary so that we can have, so that we can meet those holy demands that our Father has put out there. Lastly, His death was necessary to liberate all of humanity. You see this in verse 31. He says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. At the cross, the payment for every sin can due. You're like a lot of people in America right now, going out and getting your Christmas stuff together and you're having a good old time, but you get some of them bills in January February, won't you? You'll have to pay those bills. Or put them on time or something. you got got to do something. you got to find a way to satisfy those bills, don't you? The day on the cross, that was the day. That was the day that every payment for every sin was come due. And I want you to know that the worst thing that could ever happen has happened to you. Happened on Calvary. Your sins for the rotten and the filthiness and the ugliness that they were were exposed. They were shown for what they were. And they were punished in Jesus Christ. And they were crushed. We're about to have communion. And that that that, that that bread that we eat that represents the body of Christ that was crushed broken for you. That body took your sins. That that blood that that we're represented by that juice that we'll drink, that blood that poured out of His body, that blood covered your sins. And He at the cross fulfilled one of the oldest, the oldest messianic prophecy in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where it prophesies that the son or the seed of the woman would literally crush the head of the serpent. That's what's promised in Genesis three fifteen, and on the cross, that's what happened. Jesus, he says there, that the, the devil no more will have any reign. Verse thirty one, he says, the prince of this world's going to cast out. Judgment of this world's going to be now. All of that's happening. And he says in verse thirty two, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men into me. If Jesus is put on the cross, then no longer are we enslaved to the prince of this world. If Jesus is put on the cross, no longer are we burdened down with our guilt and our shame and the judgment that is due us. If Jesus is put on the cross, we no longer have to worry about when that, as they say, that next foot will fall, because that is already fallen on our Savior, Jesus Christ. If Jesus is put up on the cross, then all men can come to Him. He will in no wise cast them out if they will but come to Him. He will not turn them away. He won't turn you away if you will come to Him. He says, if I be lifted up, judgment's taken care of. If I'm lifted up, sin is covered. If I'm lifted up, judgment is handled. Because Jesus defeated Satan and sin and death on the cross. We're now free to love and to follow Him this story closes. I won't read those verses, but if you can read there verse 34. These people, they come back at Jesus and say, hang on a minute, they put two and two together. He said, you're basically telling us you're going to die on a cross. He says, I thought you were God. in so many words, that's what they're saying. I thought you were God. God dying? How does that work? They're questioning. What, why does this work? What is going on? Why can't he, how does this happen? And Jesus recognizes them for what they are and they're just distractions because they ultimately were trying to just debate. You ever have met people like this where you talk to them about something and they're not no more interested in what you're talking about, but they just want to have an argument. Some people are like that. That's how these people were. And Jesus recognized that. And He says, listen, I want you to know that my benefits are planned. I want you to read what He says. Verse 35. In a little while... It's the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, listen to what he says, believe in the light, that you may be the children of the light. I need y'all to hear what Jesus is telling you. Jesus has come and He is the light of the world. And He is making available to you all of these benefits. Your sin forgiven. Your guilt is gone the devil free from his, his bondage and all of those things. He's, he's giving this. He's making this available. He's shining a light and saying, this is what I'm doing. You simply must believe in Me and you can be children of the light, He said. You can believe in Me. And you can have this. He's giving you clarity. He's giving you an opportunity. And I'm just trying to directly tell you folks that He wants to save. I think we make this salvation thing a little hard sometimes. Especially if if you're on the other side of it and you're saying it's not sure. I think you make it a little bit hard sometimes. I want you to think about this. Do you think Jesus wants to save you if he, despite nobody pressuring him and of his own free will, his own choice, he could have done anything in the world that he wanted to do? But he came in the form of a man, born as a little baby, grew up, and gave his life freely for you. Do you think He wants you to sit around and say, well, I don't know. No, He's come for you. He's making it as plain as I don't know how to make it. He's making it plain. He is available for you. Why don't you embrace it? And Christian, I'm closing with this. I just want you all to know that Christian, there's a lot of you that are Christians here, and I believe you believe in Jesus, but I don't think you're actually enjoying the benefits of what it is. I think you're walking around in bondage. to something that's no bondage. It's literally like walking around. <laughs> you ever see these, uh, these, these, uh, these little kids that'll have like their, uh, what do they call it, um, imaginary friends? You know, he's not really there, but they act like he's there. And I think some of us as, as Christians, we do the same thing. You know, we, we, we believe in Jesus, but, but we walk around with our imaginary guilt. You know, it's not real guilt, but it's guilt that we put on ourselves. That we gather around, and God has already taken it from us. You're not walking in the liberty that God has given to you because of what he did on the cross. And I'm encouraging you to know that Jesus came to earth to die. will not you believe in him and what he's done? Please believe in him and what he's done. Please take what he's done and embrace it. Take what he's done and accept it. Take what he's done and enjoy it. I not you to go ahead and stand. We're going to have our communion here in just a second. So this is going to be a time of invitation and preparation for communion. Uh, I'm, I'm real conscious of the clock, so just in case y'all don't know what time it is, it's about 20 after 12. I just want y'all to know, I've been watching it. But I want y'all to pay attention to what I'm about to do here because, regardless of time, if you need to go, I don't understand if you got to go to work or whatever, but I want you to know this is an important moment. And I'm going to come down here and I want you to be free to come and pray. Spend some time with the Lord. Because you need to get to the place where there is nothing between you and your Savior. He's already made Himself available, but do you enjoy union with Him? The real union. I'm talking about that, 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 that communion with Him. That, that time where you can feel His presence. Do you enjoy that? And if not, it might be because there's some sin in your life that you need to confess to Him and make plain. Why don't you do that? Some of you Christians need to move and do that. Some of you don't even know who Jesus is. You've never met Him. He's not your Savior. Now's the day. Today is the day of salvation. Won't you come? Jesus will save you, and I'd like you to come. I'm going to stand right down here in the front and invite you to come. And I pray with anybody that'll come, anybody that'd like to talk, you just come on. But right now, we're preparing our minds and our hearts for our communion. We're going to have some time. We're going to take, take part in the the, the the bread and the juice, the bread and the wine. We're going to participate in that. We're going to do that, but I want You to clear that path between You and the Lord. I not you take a moment to do that. Lord, move among Your people and help them to enjoy what You have provided by Your death on the cross. We ask in Jesus' name.